Oh, yeah. Welcome into sports. Keep that up a little bit. Welcome back into Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. Derek Kramer, Zach Jones, and uh, now I had to do this. We are joined by Sabres Twitter's Sexy Sax Man, Anthony Scandra. Anthony, what's going on, man? It's been a bit. I'm doing all right, man. I love the intro. I was rocking out while you were introducing me. It's great. Hey, man. That, that's why we're keeping this rolling a little bit because, uh, because you know, anyone that follows you, they saw that you were uh, you were also rocking out last night. So had to give the, you know, had to give the cred where it's due. Yeah, shout out to my friend Slow Animals for having me on last night. That was a, that was a lot of fun. Anthony, first off, thanks as always to be able to come in and be able to talk with us. Talk some oh, thanks puck. for having me, man. Hey, you know it's what I gotta do. You're one of you're <laughs> one of my dudes. So, Anthony, the Sabres season ended last week. We got some good vibes. This team nailed probably every major event game this year, whether it was RJ's last call, RJ Knight, uh, the uh, the Winter Classic, or was it? No, that was the Heritage Classic. Excuse me. Uh, against Toronto, they did everything that they could when it was in front of a major audience. Uh, the Vegas game of Eichel's return, any major event game, this team crushed it, and it's part of the reason why we're looking at this team and going, "Wow, the, what is this feeling that we're heading into the offseason? Is this hope? Hope? Hope?" <laughs> uh, but hey, let's break it down here. With starting with March and against it was March second against Toronto when they whooped butt against a. Stanley Cup favorite, and continue to just manhandle them for the rest of the season. This team, though, is really giving you optimism that we haven't seen in a very long time. Yeah, you know, Sabres teams historically have kind of played down to their competition, right, and and not really risen to the occasion. I say historically, like last seven to ten years, right? This team plays up to the occasion, and they play with a lot of pride, right? And you were seeing that, like you just said, during the Heritage Classic, Eichel's return, right? Both RJ Knights, like, they just kind of have a tendency to rise at the occasion. And having a, a you know, that kind of be catalyzed by a young group, you know, the, this future core, they, you know, the identity they're building, it's something that could last a really long time. You know, it's not like, you know, you've got a team full of, old vets that you know you did kind of a bandage deal which teams do sometimes to to get competitive no they're they're building this through and they really are kind of reshaping the culture and credit to Don Granado because he's got these guys mentally right in in the right gear in the right frame of mind so um it's a breath fresh air it's something we haven't seen in a while and I, I think it's the biggest reason why this team is so endearing you know despite now setting the record for the longest NHL playoff drought ever nobody really seemed to care because the progress Man, it was visible, right? It was palpable for the first time in so very long. Now, I, I gave Duffer some of the layup questions last segment. I mean, last hour. I'm going to give you some of the tougher ones, Anthony, and I expect you. You gave Duffer the layup. <laughs> That's much more challenging than me. <laughs> um, I want to talk more about the future of this team yeah. and what are they going to do in the off season? Because I like hearing your targets, uh, Anthony. Because it's very interesting to see heading into this free agency, heading into the draft, what this team is going to be able to do to grow upon it. I do wish RFAs were still a thing that teams did frequently because the RFA list is so tantalizing this year. But heading into free agency and having boatloads, oodles, noodles, and toaster strudels of uh, cap space, 
What do you think this team is going to be able to do in free agency and going forward in what is probably one of their most important off-seasons when there's actual growth on the line? You know, it's so funny. And, you know, you listen to Kevin Adams last week, and he almost sounded – because to me, the priority number one this offseason for the Sabres is to address the goaltending situation, right? Nothing costs them more standings points this year than poor play in net, right? And whether that was a result of injury or just not having depth or both, right? Um, that was a major problem. What I found really interesting is how content Adams basically sounded in a the possibility of a Craig Anderson and UPL tandem next year. You're putting a lot of eggs into the basket of a guy who has been very inconsistent in UPL, very often injured, which is the biggest thing for me because his NHL numbers, you know, throughout his career are pretty good when he's had the chance thing is he misses 20 to 30 games every year you've got craig anderson at age 42 who also missed a really significant chunk of time so it almost feels like he'd be content recreating the goaltending situation he had now granted that could be a smoke screen it could be him kind of posturing so that he doesn't negotiate on the trade market right from a position of of weakness right where he could say you know in earnest hey look i'm cool with the guys i have I'm happy to roll with this. I don't need to get, you know, I don't need this to happen. So in that regard, I think it'd be a smart play. But if he is being earnest and genuine in his sense that he's okay with extending Anderson and bringing UPL up, I'm extremely apprehensive about that plan. Um, you'd be banking on a huge development leap from UPL to become a, a even a platoon starter. And you're banking on both of their respective healths, which again, big risk. So to me, Priority one is goaltending. I don't know if the Sabres will share that um, target, will share that goal. But uh, priority number two, I believe, is a right-shot defenseman who's capable of playing second-parent minutes. So, Anthony, the other thing that you look at with going forward with this team, what they need, and some of the things that they have to look at immediately on the docket, um, one of them being Victor Olsen. Mm -hmm. He is an RFA again for the last time. So the Sabres do have some control in what they can do negotiations-wise. Clearly injured, had himself one of the biggest funks that you will see from a player, and then it looked like he was starting to get healthy as the season was winding down, and he ends up a 20-goal scorer for this team. This is one of your bigger or more interesting pieces this offseason that you have to worry about, but also more interesting going forward what is Olofsson, how important is he to this team going forward and taking that next step? And how much do you think he's going to try to command based on the fact that he has an elite trait? Man, that's such a great question, right? And he's, he's probably still the most polarizing player on the roster, aside from maybe middle stat, in the sense that you have a portion of the fan base that says trade is right, leverage it for something of greater need because they're convinced, you know, Jack Quinn is effectively going to replace Olofsson's role. I don't know that I see it that way exactly, but I, I understand where they're coming from in that regard. And then you have the segment who's saying you don't trade goals, which I, I, I can see that side of it as well. Right. And, and, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Jack Quinn might be playing that uh, along the wall position on the, on that top power play unit, Victor Olsen, Olsen rather can, can still score at even strength, right? Not, obviously as iconically or frequently as he does on the power play, but it's still something he can do. And 
something else you noticed when they put him on a line with Rasmus Asplund, Olufsen's underlying numbers just skyrocketed, right? Because he really didn't have to. He didn't, he wasn't on a line where <laughs> there was nobody taking those defensive responsibilities, right? Where they would just get hemmed in the zone and get shelled, where he wouldn't be producing anything at five on five because he spent the whole shift in the defensive zone. Now you have Asplund, who's kind of mitigated that problem, and and Olufsen just took another kind of. Uh, skill set leap almost in not having to worry about that so much, not getting hemmed in, and he's having more offensive opportunities at five on five as a result. So I, I don't know that I'm fully on board with some of the people who are saying give him a four to five year deal. I think that's a risk, especially again, you're talking about a guy who has a history of injuries, right? It's, it goes beyond kind of what he brings when he's healthy. It's how often is he going to be healthy? That's the biggest thing, right? So I like the idea of retaining him. I think if the trade is right, if you get something crazy, you're like, uh, you know, say the Winnipeg Jets are really in earnest selling Connor Hellebuck, right? And they say Olsen's got to be part of the deal. Yeah, I'm probably doing that. But even though I, I don't mind Victor Olsen as a player, I think he's got value. You do that, right? So there's a lot of directions they can go. My gut feeling is that they extend him. I think it's probably something in the three-year range. It would bring him to age 30, and then at that point, that's when those type of uh, toolsy kind of one-trick pony, right, for lack of a better term. I don't want to take away from him that much, but kind of wingers start to decline in production. So I'd be on board for a three-year deal for him if he's, you know, keen to that idea. I think that'd be a smart play. But like you said, Derek, there's so many directions they can go with this guy, and it's going to be probably the most interesting storyline of the offseason in terms of players currently on the ledger. Now, you bring up the other polarizing player, Casey Middlestat, and mm-hmm. a large part of this Sabres fan base is still at how good is he really? Uh, because the right. poor guy this season, more than anything else, he just could not stay in the lineup with terrible misfortune. Uh, he gets injured, and then he comes back, and he gets injured almost right away. It, mm-hmm. it just was such a terrible season for him in terms of luck. But then you see him at the end of this year close out really strong. And with the Sabres being able to rotate and being able to have three centers that they can trust in a lot of situations now with Thompson, Cousins, and Middlestat, it's going to be very interesting to see how they look at Casey going forward. So the thing about Casey is he was the center on that line I was talking about with Aspen and Olsen on the wings, right? And that, that was where his metrics and his performance started to really, again, his stock started to go back up, right, towards the end of the year. So I think the value of Rasmus Asplund often gets overlooked because he's not a guy who, who shows up very frequently in the box score, right? And, and he can be almost unnoticeable, unnoticeable some nights, excuse me. But um, that's not always a bad thing. And, and he's so competent as a defensive entity at forward that he just – he's kind of – you know, I've brought it up on, on this show and on our podcast before. I, I call these guys blood type O negative players because they're just universal. You can put them with anyone – and they just routinely raise everybody around them's metrics. Like, if you look at uh, Aslan's Wowie charts, which for those who don't know, it's with or without you, meaning with a certain player or without them, every single player he spent over 100 minutes with this year had better metrics on the ice with Aslan than without him. So he's just been such a huge catalyst and an underappreciated player, and I think he's a big part of the reason Casey Middlestat started to look better and better as the year went on, right? Especially toward the end. So... To me, Middlestat is the most expendable forward still. I, that's not to say I don't think he'll end up being a good NHL player. He could very well end up being great. Uh, I think that he is the guy 
who if you're looking to trade a forward who actually has trade value to address an area of greater need, he's probably, he and Olsen, but I would lean more toward trading middle step, personally. Anthony Scandra of Expected Buffalo joining us on the West Her Hotline, talking some Sabres, what to do from here, and uh, we'll turn to the NHL playoffs in just a little bit as well. Anthony, the last thing that I want to talk to you Sabres-wise here being about what it is they have so strong on the left side of this, uh, on the left side of the defense core. Mm-hmm. And obviously Ryan Johnson, Kevin Adams spoke about him and seeing as there's not going to be much options, Johnson smartly knows that he's not cracking this lineup. Uh, what do you think the Sabres do from here with a guy that is still unsigned going into his senior season and that becomes a very big risk when it comes to the rights of that player? such a great question right and, and the 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 off-the-cuff response is well you trade him now you don't take the risk you trade him well why would a team want to trade for him i guess and that was my initial response too it's like well they got to trade him now but then you know logic kicks in and it's like well wait a minute unless that team has some assurance that he's going to sign with them this summer wouldn't they just be absorbing the same risk the sabers do now there's a rule uh for first round picks that if they do not sign with you uh, and they were drafted in the first round, you actually get a compensation pick in the following round at the same slot that that player was picked, right? So I believe Ryan Johnson, don't quote me on this, I think he was 31st overall, which would mean that the Sabres get a compensation second-round pick if he doesn't sign, and that would be 62nd overall, right? Because it's that same position in the following mm-hmm. round. That, that draft pick, is is transferable, meaning if they traded Johnson's rights this summer and the team that traded for him could not, in fact, get a deal done, they would now get that compensation pick as a result. Right. That's a big deal. So Ryan Johnson's value, outside of whether or not, or not he would sign with his new team should he be traded, is that of a late second-round pick, right? So any trade he could conceivably be kind of thrown into this summer – Think about it that way. Think about it as the Sabres threw in a late second. Don't think about it in terms of the prospect. So that that's kind of the mindset I'm in right now, and I think a lot of people maybe aren't aware of that rule because it happens so infrequently. The last time that rule kicked in was when Blake Wheeler didn't sign with the Coyotes, um, and, and that was obviously quite some time ago. Wheeler's in his 30s now. So um, it's, it's an interesting situation. I, I wouldn't really understand the risk of, of hanging on to him with the hope that he would resign, especially because, or uh, sign an entry level deal, excuse me. Um, mostly because his dad works for the LA Kings. And it's like, why wouldn't you just become a UFA and, and sign there? And especially a team that they're so overloaded with prospects on the right and very few on the left side of their defense. So just an interesting thing to think about. But again, another really fluid, really interesting situation to kind of watch this summer to see how Adams manages assets. Cause as we know, the biggest knock on Jason Botterill was he was the worst asset manager maybe ever, definitely in organizational history in the GM spot. And you want to see those kind of opposite tendencies from Adams. And granted, everything he's done to date has been very, very good and, and indicates that he's not like Botterill. But these are really critical, you know, little things that used to kill the Sabres, you know, death by a million paper cuts that you want to see him consistently do right. So beyond just the roster, this this offseason in terms of what the Sabres do with the assets at their disposal is going to be really, really interesting. All right, Anthony, we can move on now to the rest of the NHL playoffs. Everything seems like it's pretty 
even and yet at the same time we're getting zero close games. Mm-hmm. What in the heck is going on this playoffs? <laughs> it's so volatile, right? Where you've got evenly matched teams like Tampa Bay and Toronto to me are extremely evenly matched, but they're just kind of trading haymakers where, you know, Toronto wins what five to nothing maybe that first game and then Tampa wins five to two. Then last night Toronto wins five to two, and which granted they had a couple. I think they had a couple empty netters there, so it was a closer game than the score indicated. But still, I mean that that's not that's not unique to that series. It's every series they're just trading blowout victories, and it's it's very bizarre and it's funny. It's entertaining, but in a way, it's not. Where none of these games in a vacuum, right, have been close. So it's just kind of it's kind of bizarre to watch. Um, very unlike, very un NHL playoff like. So. Um, I uh, eventually think this is going to level out and, you know, these teams are going to get more of a feel for each other and, and kind of elevate or, or, you know, match the, the skill set of their opponents. And it's going to be closer and closer, right, as you keep going here. But, yeah, to start, it's it's been one of the weirder NHL playoff first rounds I've seen. So, Anthony, of course, we've been part of this uh, fun little tournament, the uh, the Puck Luck Cup. Oh, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, I had a I had a rough night last night here. Uh, Same that that noted jerk Joe Yurden, He's got a big lead on me now uh, mm. from yesterday. So now, like you, I have to get risky. So um, how's your experience been with uh, with dealing with that so far? Uh, trying to like basically throw these little bets on these games. Like for me, what I'm mm. learning is, thank goodness I don't throw my own money around on this stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not much of a gambler in in general, which uh, is more just because I'm not very good at it. Um, but you know, I got really lucky in the beginning, right? I picked St. Louis in the upset for that game one against Minnesota, and it came through, right? I picked an uh, I, I forget what game it was, but an over that hit, right? I had a big lead on DJ Mitchell, and my last three games, I have just struck out. I think picking the Kings money line last night was the most significant blow I've taken just watching them get shellacked eight to two. Um, but again, like you, like we just kind of alluded to the volatility of these first round matchups really isn't helping my cause here. I'm just going to start betting overs because all these games are just producing crazy <laughs> goal totals. But, that is the other thing. Uh, yeah. A lot of scoring yeah. going on, no matter what, even if it's blowouts, like at minimum, all the games last night, six goals. Yeah. Yeah. Even your elite goaltenders, aside from Shesterkin, right. Who, who's been, pretty well shutting things down for the Rangers. I think he's got like 14 goals saved above expected over three games, which is insane. But uh, yeah, even Vasilevsky, right? He's getting shelled a little bit. So not lack of reliability in net has been kind of a big thing. And it's, you know, again, I think I might just switch to betting overs here (laughs) to see if I can make up some ground. Anthony, thanks as always for being able to talk with us. You're one of my favorite people to follow. You're one of my favorite people to talk to as always. So let the good people know, if they're not already following you, how to do it. Yeah, on Twitter, um, my handle is at expectedbyanth. And, uh, you know, we have our website, Expected Buffalo, where we pump, you know, especially with the offseason coming up now and a lot of these intriguing storylines, a few of them we touched on here. We're going to be cranking out content. We've got the podcast, the Expected Buffalo podcast as well. So, um, you know, we've got Eddie in the mix now. We've got another guy coming on. Obviously, Chad and I are still here cranking out content for you guys so um you know follow us for what's going to be just a really fun really entertaining couple steps forward here hopefully this team you know like we all feel is on the right path and we can actually start writing consistently positive things which i think we've been waiting for a long time 
Well, I can't wait to see what kind of opinions you and Chad go up against each other with. So uh, it'll be fun to see this off season. Such a fun series, yeah. The expected Buffalo face-off on the rare occasions Chad and I disagree, we'll, we'll square off and let the people vote who's right. So that we always enjoy those. Thanks again, Anthony, and uh, enjoy your weekend, my friend. Thank you. You too, Derek. Thanks again for having me. Of course. Anthony Scandra, expected Buffalo, joining us there on the West Her Hotline as we got ourselves nice little talks about the Sabres, what they do from here. And, and yes, I decided I wanted to challenge Anthony a little bit more than uh, than Duffer on this. But, uh, but I just didn't want it to be the same conversation over and over again. I wanted to see uh, and pick some brains on what they do from here. So now it's your turn. What do the Sabres do from here? In one of the biggest off-seasons filled with optimism that they've had in a long time, even though they just set the record for a playoff drought, for the longest playoff drought in NHL history. There's still a lot to be talked about with this team. There's a lot to be talked about with the Bills. What do we do from here? What can we expect? It's your turn. 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. Why? Because we got a whole hour and change. Before I go ahead and try to snag Brian Koziel for uh, for a nice little fun last segment. Because he's down at Batavia Downs today for pre, pre-race coverage excuse me, of the Kentucky Derby. I almost said pre-game coverage of it. Uh, pre-race coverage of the Kentucky Derby this year. And he'll be able to help you guys out with the good people of Batavia Downs. I'm probably going to expect that Ryan Hasenauer is going to be on with him to be able to help talk on who to bet for. What horses are hot? Which ones you want to be putting the money on? So we'll be able to hear that and more. It's Sports Talk Saturday rolls on right here. Derek Kramer, Zach Jones, we're hanging out with you. More on the other side here on WGR. Number one top sneaky good draft choice of the 2022 NFL draft, according to me. When he was drafted by this team, I thought, oh, my God. James Cook and the Buffalo Bills offense yeah. is, I don't know if that's fair. No I, I don't know if this is fair. As soon as he got drafted by the Bills, I'm like, oh my, how many times was I talking about the Bills needing a back? I don't know if he's got the bell cow like his brother, but he can, he can run, man. And he can be a passing matchup nightmare. That was Rich Eisen giving the Bills a pretty good shout-out about second-round running back James Cook. That's a very popular selection, and it's one that might even turn into a a fun little, hey, just-in-case bonus, because I just saw this tweet from Chris Trapasso. Uh, Maneuvering is vital during the draft. The Bills took pick 57 and turned it into James Cook, Matt Ariza, and Luke Tenuta. So... Thanks to trading back from 57, not only did they get a running back that everyone seems to love them adding here, they also got the pun god. So, hey, take what you can get. But that's how the Bills do it. They like to maneuver around. They like to manipulate the draft boards better than a lot of teams do. Looking at you, Bill. Dude, I'm still... (laughs) First off, Sports Talk Saturday, Derek Kramer, Zach Jones. And now I think I'm still one week later not over how goofy the Patriots are. I mean, it's 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 going to be one of those things where you're going to have to take a little while, and I'm talking about NFL executives, fans, <laughs> all that, to to actually see if the class is worth anything or if it's as bad as most people think. 
And to be fair, all these players could be good. The value is still going to be awful. Yeah, they could be decent players. It's just understand value. That's all it is. And, you know, I'm going to mesh the two a little bit here. Uh, Looking at how Tim Murray ran this team with the Sabres, uh, one of the biggest problems that he had was uh, not understanding value. And that was one of his biggest downfalls. The other, obviously, being that he couldn't uh, scout really all that well. Um, He had a couple of guys that were decent additions, like Victor Olofsson, but... Funny enough, I'm pretty sure Victor Olofsson's one of maybe like two players that Murray drafted that is still on the Sabres roster. And that's a horrible track record. But yeah, not understanding value. I don't care who you are. And everyone's like, oh, you can't criticize Bill Belichick. Guy has won six rings. First off, you can criticize him as a uh, quote-unquote de facto general manager. And that man has been holding that team back for years. Bill, the coach, makes the most of what Bill, the GM, decides to throw on a canvas and hope that he nails it. Instead, what do you get? No, you just get you get goofy picks. And I, it's again, need to understand what value is. You need to understand what you have in front of you. And when it comes to either signing two tight ends to big buckets of money in free agency or reaching on a guy that you could have gotten in round three with pick 29 or reaching on a guy who probably shouldn't have even been mentioned as a second or third round pick in round two. But here you are, and it's like, oh, no, we you can't criticize Bill Belichick. Who am I to criticize Bill Belichick? He's Bill Belichick. First off, legends do fade sometimes if they don't get it right. Eventually, Ken Holland is one of the best general managers of hockey in recent memory, but he flamed out with the Red Wings for a reason because the game started to pass him. And maybe it's the drafting in the front office side of it that the game has passed Bill Belichick by in a bit as well. On the field, he still seems like he's got it. And you know what? Good for that. But. The way that he is drafting and constructing a roster, a lot of people are now starting to think, are the Patriots about to be in last? Oh, I think they will be. I, f- I fully believe they'll be the fourth best and team the in the division. And the weirdest thing is that's not a, like, it's a serious question we have to ask now. And it's hilarious. Well, I mean, there's always, you're going to have people pick the Jets, and I can totally understand that, but I think, I, I think the Jets have a star in Joe Douglas at GM. I really do. And you look at the Patriots and you realize, Where's the star talent? Anywhere. And, and I'm not just talking. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking in the front office as well because Bill, as we're seeing, the game is passing him by. Like His I'm, vaunted defenses did not force a punt against an offense that, as, as great as it was, was faltering a bit at the end of the season. The Bills' offense had games in there where they did not look as finely tuned as they ultimately looked in the playoffs. Not to mention the other part of it is that, like you, you, like you said, looking at any sort of star Uh, in any sense of the word. And you look at how mundane their offense is, how halfway decent their defense is, it's all kind of mediocre. And the only thing that's saving that is a coach that still gets it on the field. Because, yeah, while he struggles against the Bills and Josh Allen and needed a literal weather issue to slow them down, he does still coach up a team to double-digit wins. And it is annoying. However, now, 
you're looking at what continues to happen, and Tom Brady's not here to bail out your roster anymore. It's going to be interesting though, too. I mean, like, I, like where where is the the talent that you go? Yeah, that's one of the best players in football at a specific position. We we know receiver, it's bad. Running back, it's really good by committee. Mm-hmm. But the offensive line has gotten worse. The defense has definitively gotten worse. J.C. Jackson's gone. He was the your, your stand down. He's going to hold it down. Cornerback. He left. He went to L.A. And your safety tandem isn't good. You no. didn't have a cornerback too, really. And they're getting older there yeah. on defense. It just you don't see a lot of promise there. Where in Miami, you see some promise. They add Tyreek Hill. They have Jalen Waddle. They have guys that you go, okay, those are legitimate threats. Yeah. Miami Miami actually has some legit talent. Like, Mike Jacecki is one of the better tight ends in this league, and there's nothing like yeah. There's plenty of things that are not as good with them. And is Tua actually good enough to keep them? As a contender for playoff spots, maybe. We don't know yet. We're going to find out because they're all in on it to find that answer. Because if they don't have, like, if he's not the answer this year, he's not the answer. They added everything that they could offensively to help him. They signed Teron Armstead. They trade for Tyreek Hill. They have all of the weaponry that is needed. And then you go ahead and you look at the Jets. And like you said, Zach, I remember the last time that we talked about the Jets on a sports talk Saturday, you got me riled up. But now I'm kind of believing you a little bit because they are doing a great job of trying to infuse that roster with talent. Like Miami, you're going to find out very quickly if you have an answer under center in Zach Wilson. And the Bills did this. They did want to make sure that they had their answer in Josh Allen. What did they do to do that? It wasn't as marquee of things, but they went and restocked the entire wide receiver room. They revamped it. Because second-year Josh Allen was throwing to the likes of Calvin Benjamin and Zay Jones. What did they do? They cleaned out the entire room. They bring in John Brown, Cole Beasley, on contracts that might have been a little richer for their blood, but at the same time, they needed new answers for pass-catching weapons. They finally have a legitimate tight end with Dawson Knox. This is how you do it. You find yourself a quarterback, and you build around him early to find out if he's the answer. And if he's not, you have a chance to reset and start again. Why? Because you have the talent around to plug in a new guy. That's I, think, how- I think that's why I like what the Jets are doing and why like, I look at them over the next five years as the dangerous team. Because let's say Zach Wilson does not take the step this year. right? I, I think he has all the potential in the world to do it, but let's say he doesn't. Their team is loaded with young talent, and if you move off quick enough, you can get a new player in there. Teams will, like owners and all that, will allow you to make the second decision. Look at Steve Kime with Arizona. He moved off Josh Rosen the moment he kind of thought, all right, this probably isn't it. He got to pick Kyler Murray. That immediately has made Arizona now relevant. You're going into a much better quarterback draft next year with the likes of CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, uh, Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami, forgetting the Kentucky guy's name, but it's, it's a much better draft class down the board with quarterbacks. Yeah. And, and you can move yourself in a new position yeah. to get one of those guys. And especially, it's going to be not a Kansas City situation, but like that where you're not coming in and the cupboard's bare. And you're sitting there going, wow, I am alone here. Like Zach Wilson somewhat came into a team that was alone. He had a rookie coach, a bad culture, a bad history. This quarterback can And come a wide in, receiver yeah. room that was 
<sighs> yeah, your best bet was Corey Davis and a rookie Elijah Moore. I love Elijah Moore, but still a rookie. That's tough to ask him to come in and immediately be the stud. You know, he was not Jamar Chase. He was not Justin Jefferson. But I think looking at Mac Jones's rookie year stats: twenty-two touchdowns, thirteen picks, thirty-eight hundred yards, and like a sixty-seven completion percentage. If Zach Wilson can throw 64-63, 25 touchdowns, 12 picks, they're above the Patriots. That's not even like a super great season now no. in 2022. That's a fine season. That's probably going to get him a year three. You know what that is? That's Josh Allen taking his next step. Yeah, Josh in his second year threw 20 touchdowns, I think nine picks, and he ran for nine touchdowns. And his completion percentage went from 52 to 56, or, or 58. Again, that kind of ascension, not unnatural, but... Again, the part that still gets me about the Jets is they are banking on the next Josh Allen. When almost every every naysayer of analysts in the country was like Josh Allen has to beat math itself in order to uh in order to be successful and he did. So that's the other part of it. Like Zach Wilson while a volatile pick potentially was not nearly as dissected in that way as Josh Allen was. Because there's a precedent now, but it's a historical one. People have to remember that. People have to remember that Josh Allen and what he did and what the Bills did for him, it has to be done right. And that is where the Jets look like they're kind of on a decent track. Well, and to be fair, too, it feels dirty to say that. Oh, it does. It feels wrong. But to be fair, (laughs) go back five years from now. And, and, And everyone listening, go back five years from now. Why would you believe the Buffalo Bills would take a one of the rawest quarterback talents ever and develop him into a, into a star? And develop him into a top three quarterback. Yeah. Why would you believe that outside of, I'm a Bills fan, I believe they can do it? Everything showed you they couldn't. This was a new or a new regime, but in the past, because we went through it on the morning show, the extra point, the Bills draft history of like the, like the last 10 years. It's a tire fire. It was a tire fire. You would get into the second round and these would be guys that wouldn't play. Reggie Ragland, Cyrus Quanjo, guys uh, that would never play a snap, a meaningful snap for the Bills. You know, you bring up those two names, and I've really noticed something about their draft classes under Bean and McDermott. They that, don't uh, touch Alabama players. They don't touch Alabama players. At all. There's three in the last 15 years. Marcel Darius, Cyrus Quanjo, Reggie Ragland, that is it. And all of them have flatlined as Bills picks. They're gone. Marcel Darius was good, but once he got his contract, that was kind of it. But that's why like, I don't love, especially when Bills fans look at the Jets and go, it's just the Jets. Who cares? Guys, you were that five, six years ago. We were that. You were that. And we were that for 17 years. But the worst part is, you weren't even good enough at being bad. We'd be middle of the pack Mm -hmm. with terrible drafts. Yep. No quarterback talent, no elite talent to kind of help out a eh, quarterback like Ryan Fitzpatrick when he was here, even Tyrod when when he was here. There was no real, okay, but they have like, you know, the best cornerback in the game or even look look at Pittsburgh, TJ Watt is a stud. Yep. There was nothing of like that. So when I look at the Jets, I look at the Bills and I'm like, I mean, they fixed it. Why can't Robert Sala and Joe Douglas? I already think Joe Douglas is one of the best GMs in the AFC. He's shown me two draft classes where he is aggressive, he gets guys that he wants, and he gets guys that help the team right away. Yeah, it's it's a tough balance to have. But at the same time, if you can add that young talent and really infuse it, and that's what the Bills were able to do capably as well. That was another big thing about it. It's not like they were just going in there and just... Josh Allen was it. No, they built that thing from year one of McDermott with Tredavious White, with Deion Dawkins in that draft class. They made sure that they got guys that they could trust. 
with Josh Allen's draft, there was also Tremaine Edmonds, who, while a discussion-worthy player, still has athletic talent that deserves a first-round selection and is someone that still has athletic plays in him. Dawson Knox is in that draft class. Like They really were able to get aggressive and add players in every round. Gabriel Davis becomes a draft pick of this team, and they are able to hit on picks all throughout that make you think, if you can do that, you become a very dangerous team very quickly. It's why we're excited about guys like Khalil Shakir as a a fifth-round pick. Yes. Because you're sitting there going, well, they've hit on fifth- and fourth-round guys before. But before this regime, you'd sit there and go, guys, he's not even going to make the team. That's why the first hour last week, Saturday, was all about like trying to trade into the fourth round because Bean has smashed it in the fourth round when he's had the opportunity. Unfortunately, fourth-round picks for him have become valuable trade pieces as well. And that's how the nature of the business is. 8030550, We'll bounce between the Bills, the Sabres, whatever you want to talk about here as we go on here on Sports Talk Saturday. Brian Koziel is at Batavia Downs today. He'll be joining later on. He starts up at 2 o'clock, though. We'll be carrying you all the way through then. Derek Kramer, Zach Jones, you're listening to WGR. Welcome back in Sports Talk Saturday. Derek Kramer, Zach Jones, we're hanging out with you here until 2 o'clock. we got another hour to go. Thanks to Anthony Scandra for joining me earlier in this hour, talking some puck with some Sabres and the rest of the NHL playoffs that have become fascinatingly weird when it comes to high-scoring blowouts, and they just trade blowouts each and every other time. I mean, this is the <laughs> 5 nothing Toronto, 5-2 Tampa, 5-2 Toronto. And it's been like that for almost every series. I have a buddy from high school who's a big Edmonton Oilers fan, and it has been a ton of fun watching his Twitter just be an absolute, just, it's, it's such an up and down. Like, yeah. game one, he's like, this is this is trash organization, I'm done. Games two and three, he's like, I'm all the way back in. Everyone's the best player ever, I'm loving it, and I'm like, good for you, buddy. Good for you. And, like, the only real, and, like, St. Louis, Minnesota, what I thought was going to be the most tightly contested matchup, it's 2-1 series lead for Minnesota, but Blues, 4-0. Wild, 6-2. Wild, 5-1. We've had what? I think two total overtime games? We've had two total overtime games. The tightly contested matchup, by the way, is the two defensive teams, Flame Stars. Yes. Which, man, one, Calgary one, is one, having one. a tough time scoring, like, at all. And this is this is really like like people want to harp on Toronto's core for how they fail in the playoffs or um or Edmonton's before Tampa. Calgary Tampa used to be that team. Yeah. Calgary is always that team that has had this happen to them. And it really is kind of wild. But yeah, they've each team in the Flame Stars series has scored a combined two goals each. One nothing flames, two one stars. There's four goals in that series in two games, which is the antithesis of every other playoff series in this postseason. And I like bouncing around here from football to hockey. 
It's fun to do. Why? Because I don't like to have a one-track mind. I like bouncing around. I'm chaotic like that. It is what it is. But first thing we're going to do, though, before we go to break, is we'll get a quick call in here. I feel like it's owed to them for uh, for being patient here. Chance in Alabama, welcome to Sports Talk Saturday. How you doing? Good. How are y'all? Not too bad. Good, good. Real quick, I called to talk about receivers, but I think you said the Bills have kind of stayed away from Alabama players, but they did take Levi Wallace. I know he was a UFA, but they stuck with him for a while. <clears throat> but uh, I called, I just don't think a big enough deal is being made about the wide receiver situation for the Bills. And I call it a situation because people are really banking on Gabe Davis being a solid number two, which he may be. I mean, there was a little luck in that KC game with the safety injury and uh, you know, the corner that was guarding him was awful. And I don't think Crowder is meant to be on the outside. I just don't. And I'm not banking on a fifth-round rookie. So one injury, one anything. And and two years ago when Allen was co-MVP or uh, runner-up MVP, four wides is what we ran, four wides all day. And I just, I'm still trying to figure out who's that fourth guy going to be. Crowder in slot, the fifth-round uh, dude in slot. Who's the other guy? And heaven forbid we lose digs for a period of time then what i mean they need another receiver i just don't you're you, what are you banking on uh the other the kid they took two years ago in the fifth round it's just i mean i like the idea of will fuller i think julio's done or maybe you can trade i was i would have loved them go back and try and get robert woods i'm just extremely worried and i just don't think enough's being made of it Chance, thanks for the call, and I appreciate the sentiment there. Um, of course, losing digs would hurt anything, like no matter how your wide receiver room looks. If it's more stacked, if it's less stacked, losing a guy like Diggs for any amount of time would just bite. However, um, to answer your question more bluntly, I think they have their answer for fourth wide receiver at the current moment, and it's Isaiah McKenzie. I think that McKenzie has proven enough that he's not just a gadget player. He does do that well, but he's not just that. That New England game in Gillette, that was just nice piece of revenge for the uh, for the wind game. It was Diggs was hobbled. It was the Isaiah McKenzie show. Well, yeah, like Diggs was hobbled. Gabe Davis and Cole Beasy were like, they were just straight up not even in the game. My only fear with Isaiah McKenzie, because I do agree with you, is just he's predominantly a slot guy, but he doesn't run typical slot routes. So I think that's where they're going to use him. They're going to make him an unconventional guy. guy. And I think that that is going to help with the extensive weaponry. And I think that McKenzie and Shakir are going to be your combo wide receiver four. And I do believe that that is there. I'm not going to say that, uh, that it's wrong to think about another receiver. Because you should. You do need another guy that if injuries do happen, uh, you need another guy on the outside. You always do. And... That's where I think like the bottom of that roster could be churned a little bit. Yeah, I know that Jay Kumarell is a good name and he's a good special teams guy, but is he it, like are he and Marquez Stevenson really set? Stevenson's the one I'm very interested in. Yes. I, like were they grooming him to potentially take up this role year two and more kind of just like ease him in year one? I don't know. I see him much more as just a special teams guy. I'm far more excited about Khalil Shakir just because I think he offers you versatility and stronger hands, which is becoming now a very big theme with this like receiver room. Gabe Davis came out of college. Maybe his best trait was how strong his hands were. Diggs has some of the best hands in football. Khalil Shakir comes out with maybe the best hands in the draft. Or I'm sorry, with the strongest hands in the draft. So I, I, I think Khalil Catching Shakir... Catching bullet passes, you need that. Yeah, exactly. You need that. 
But I am not I am not there yet with just thinking Kalil Shakir is just going to be a slot guy. I really do think this team took him with the potential idea of, okay, that'll be what you are at the start, but we do anticipate your role growing much more. And let's remember, Stephon Diggs was a fifth-round pick for the Vikings. His scout report was basically probably a slot guy. He was not big enough physically to be an outside receiver. That was proved wrong almost immediately. His mm-hmm. rookie year was not like you know Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase like we've seen right. the last few years, but I think he had about 600 yards. I think he had four touchdowns. He he pretty much disproved his scouting report almost immediately, and I think Shakir, especially in this offense, especially with his quarterback, could do the same. And Greg Thompson, we mentioned that with him when uh, we talked to him in the first hour. He did bring up that Shakir did still play 38% of his snaps outside. So if you can do that on the NFL level, that gives you more versatility, that gives you more usage and it allows you to move Davis and Diggs around. So that will be fun to look at going forward. 8030551888552550. The last hour is up to you guys. You guys can call in. We'll talk about whatever the heck you want. Bills, Sabres, hockey. Don't throw me a Kentucky Derby question. I'm not qualified. Um so Miami if- Grand Prix, Josh Allen's there. Josh Allen's there, yeah. Right. Rooting for McLaren, Daniel Ricardo. All right, so if you want to talk some F1, Zach's got you there. But, uh, hey, you want anything you got to take, you can always bring it to us on Sports Talk Saturday right here on WGR.